0: At 0200 hours, Section 4 and HQ Section 83 men in all, under the command of 2nd Lieutenant Holloway, left the camp for the last time, following in the footsteps snow trail of the rest of the company, and marched to Clacton Train Station. At the station, there was an unexpected delay, as the men waited for their train, the result of weather conditions further along the line. The rest of the company, under the command of Captain Morgan, had already left Clacton Railway Station en route for Southampton. Owing to a further signals delay, Sections 4 and HQ staff finally left Clacton Station at 0400 hours. Captain Morgan's entry in the war diary states that the company had been embarked without a single item for the work for which they had been enlisted, i.e. artisan tools. Most of the men took the opportunity to sleep as the train rolled towards London, stopping a short while before moving off to Southampton. The men encountered driving blizzard conditions as they boarded the ferry, the SSS Fenella, in the dark. However, just a short time after leaving the dockside, the ferry dropped anchor and could proceed no further, owing to thick, enveloping fog. It was a faltering start which seemed to unnerve some of the men. Most had never been to sea before. On board, the conditions were cramped and very cold. Ginger George, the company's unwittingly conscripted feathered mascot, had been successfully smuggled aboard, but his persistent crowing was beginning to attract some unwanted attention from the officers. Rather sadistically, George was forced to drink petrol in a bid to keep him quiet. But unfortunately, this resulted in his mistime crowing ceasing for good. Six hours later, Sergeant Major Brown notified Captain Morgan that a member of the company, Sapper Johnson, was suffering from pneumonia and would have to be taken to hospital. A special tug made its way out, and Sapper Johnson was stretchered off the ferry. A few hours later, the fog cleared and the SS Fenella finally got underway and steamed towards La Havre, where Morgan had landed some 23 years before. As they entered the port at 1900 hours, the Fenella once again dropped its anchor, as French port officials initially refused to allow the company to disembark. The following morning, the 1st of February 1940, the SS Fenella finally discharged its weary, cold and hungry cargo. Morgan formed the men up and marched them to the Qua Escal for lunch, only to find the meals were completely sour and inedible. Cold rations were distributed instead. The SS Fenella sailed back to the UK, leaving the hungry soldiers of 663 behind. The ferry that had operated out of the Isle of Man prior to the start of the war would later be sunk during the evacuation of British troops from Dunkirk on the 31st of May, 1940, as she embarked troops on the now infamous East Mole Pier. In 1941, the wreck was refloated by the Germans and declared a prize of war by the Nazis and given the new name The vessel then operated along the river Elbe in Hamburg, only to be sunk for a final time during a massive RAF air raid that took place on the 31st of December 1944. Meanwhile, back in Le Havre, the men finally boarded an old passenger train at 1600 hours and left the central station in the French port en route for the city of Nantes, which straddles the River Loire. Reg Brown, a sapper and Cornishman from Section 2, who was a carpenter to trade, never forgot the long journey down from La Havre. I swear that train had square wheels on it, he recalled. I've never felt so uncomfortable in all of my life. The train stopped regularly And every time it did, sappers jumped out, raiding vegetables from French gardens adjacent to the line. We were eating cabbages and cauliflowers from people's gardens. We were so hungry, Reg recounted. By contrast... Percy and the other drivers from 663 had driven their trucks to Harwich and had crossed the English Channel to Cali by train ferry. Despite blizzard conditions, a lone hurricane fighter escorted the ship as it sailed the relatively short distance to the French coast, but halfway across the pilot was forced to turn back as the conditions deteriorated. Soon after, the a floating mine was spotted. Soldiers on board began to open fire on it with small arms, but it didn't explode, and the ship thankfully avoided hitting it. When they arrived at Cali, the men made for the Salvation Army hostel, where they were fed a good meal and bedded down for the night. The next morning, they set off once again for Nantes and the River Loire. Meanwhile, the rest of the company were beginning to wonder if they would ever reach Nantes, as the train ground to a stop once again in the darkness. Captain Morgan had supplies of corn beef, or bully beef as the men knew it, but he categorically refused to release it. A stickler for orders, Morgan had been instructed not to distribute the beef until they reached Nantes. The train rumbled slowly on southward and travelled all the following day without hot tea or a hot meal, and relied on the small cold rations that had been issued to them when they left Clacton. Finally, in the early hours of the 3rd of February, 56 hours after leaving La Le Havre, the train carrying the bulk of 663 rolled in to Nantes Central Station on the banks of the Loire. The men were exhausted, but Morgan formed them up and marched them a short distance over a bridge that spanned the river, down the Rue Sade-Carnot Avenue and into their billets, at Garage de Tourville, where the men were given their first hot supper in three days. It had a big concrete floor, Reg remembered, laid out with palliasses from straw and was able to hold the entire company. Each one of the palliasses, which were made from sackcloth, held three men. The men fell onto these, weary and exhausted. Day they were woken and told to wash in the ablutions, open stone water fountains in the middle of the avenue, situated just outside the garage. I didn't know what the word ablution meant in those days, Reg recalled. It was a place where you washed and shaved in the morning. There were these benches outside the garage in the street with taps on but no hot water, so we shaved with our hot tea. Reg and the rest of the soldiers shared these open washing areas with the locals. Most of the troops had led fairly sheltered lives before enlisting and were left goggle-eyed as the local women also bathed at the ablutions, giving not a second thought about washing their bare breasts in front of the men. At 10.30 hours, the men were paraded and given a kit inspection, and surprisingly, given the journey and deprivation of the past few days, only two men reported sick. Captain Morgan left the men and reported to Colonel Edwards, who was commanding the Royal Engineers, at British HQ in Nantes. There, he informed the Colonel of the lack of officers and tools for his men. At midday, the men were dismissed and began to explore the ancient city. Shortly after midday, Percy, fellow sapper Jimmy Skeels and other drivers together with 2nd Lieutenant Huss pulled up in the trucks. Percy was struck by the beauty of the city and was aware of its historic links to the slave trade. When 663 arrived, they must have thought it was a return to the good old days, he observed sarcastically. Whatever the locals really thought, there was no escaping the impact the thousands of British troops now descending on the city was having. Although the men of 663 and the other units based there were primarily support troops and not frontline fighting infantry units, the militaristic presence changed the character of the city in those early months of 1940. As the men of 663 became accustomed to life in Nantes, 1,400 kilometres away in Berlin, German commanders were drawing up their invasion preparations for France, known as the Manstein Plan. It included an attack through southern Belgium that avoided the Maginot Line with the military objective of reaching the Channel Coast. The plan involved sending the 7th Panzer Division under Erwin Rommel and the 19th Corps commanded by Guderian through the heavily wooded and semi-mountainous region of the Ardennes. They would be followed closely by the 6th and 8th Panzer Divisions. French generals, had believed that the Ardennes was impassable for tanks, and privately, some German officers expressed similar concerns about the plans. But on the 17th of February, Hitler gave his final approval for the offensive, although the attack would not be triggered until the 10th of May, under the codename of Case Yellow. Although the French civilians in Nantes walking casually about their business didn't yet know it, The brown khaki uniforms of the British and Canadian troops stationed in their ancient city would soon be replaced by the dark blue and black of the Wehrmacht in just a few short months. But for now, the company settled into a regular routine. As the men of 663 walked around the quiet gardens and cafes on their days off and acquainted themselves with the sights of the historic French city. Such a possibility of a German attack seemed very remote indeed, but a gathering storm was building in the north. In the next episode, 663 and the other support elements of the British Army continue their regular routine. Completely unaware that 200 miles to the north, the real army was battling for its very survival. As the fighting elements of the British Expeditionary Force are literally driven into the sea at the French coastal town of Dunkirk, Prime Minister Winston Churchill makes a surprise announcement on the radio that British forces have evacuated France. But 663 Company and over 150,000 other British troops were still in the country with no clear idea what was happening or what fate would befall them now.